is that change, even though very difficult, is always possible. And why do we believe that? Well, we believe that because we see those who are lost matter to God. Mm. They matter to God. This is why the church, Christianity, has done more to advocate for the poor than any other belief system in the history of humanity. gentlemen welcome to the salty pastor podcast a podcast designed to coach you up in your faith the more you know the more you can grow the importance of growing your faith is more critical now than ever whether you know it or not you live in a globalized world this means you're exposed to ideologies from across the worldview spectrum it gets confusing real quick and people can be easily manipulated if you don't want to be deceived manipulated or confused then it is important to know what you believe and why you believe it this requires you to think for yourself to be able to see the truth through all the exceptions and find the truth in the all the information and data. This is why developing a strong and clear faith is critical in your life. Our goal is to give you what you need to grow in your faith, to think for yourself, to come to your own conclusions. We want to provide you with the tools, the facts, and their perspective to think for yourself. My name is Jess Merrill. I'll be your host, but our leader, our guide, and at the helm of our salty adventure is the salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. It's so good to have you here. And I just think that uh, it's so important to understand that life is is getting more complicated. It's not getting less. I really like those those people who are endeavoring to, you know, they they buy a chunk of land out there in the middle of nowhere and they want to go off grid and they're looking for a simpler life. And I think that's really uh, noble of them to do that. And I, man, I just hope that they have a great experience. But what we can't forget is that the world population is just past 8 billion. Mm. I mean, when you think about that 8 billion people, what happens is there's going to be movements and, and your capacity to move out into the country and buy 20 acres and live off grid is contingent upon something. You know what it's contingent upon? Land You're, to buy. Well, not only <laughs> land to buy, but a country that allows you to do that and doesn't come in and plunder your resources. Mm. Right. And, that's what happens all over the globe. It doesn't happen in America because we have something that's critical to the foundation of our country, and that is private property rights. But even today, your private property rights are under assault and trying to be taken away from you. And if that happens, your little 20-acre oasis out in the middle of nowhere is, is not going to be able to survive for very long because it can be taken at any given moment. And that's why we do what we do at the Salty Pastor is because we're trying to teach people how to understand how global events affect their everyday life. Mm. We're trying to help people understand that these biblical principles shape the founding of our nation and they still are woven throughout so many incredible things that you experience today. So many of the freedoms you have our fruit hanging on the tree of liberty and the tree of liberty was planted in the soil of Christianity. And, but the problem is, is that in today's world, so much of that, uh, soil is, you know, being eroded. And so once that soil's eroded and gone, the soil of secularism, the soil of any other ideology, communism, socialism, 
uh, Islamist uh, vacation or the Islamic uh, soil is not going to grow a tree of liberty. It's going to grow something totally different. And so the fruit that you want to pick off that is not going to be the fruit of, hey, I want to simplify my life or I want to raise my kids the way I want to raise my kids. I want to teach them the values. I want to worship uh, according to my own conscience. I want to have freedom of speech. All of those things will be gone. And what's sad to me is how, so, how naive so people have become that they just ignore this fact. And we don't have to be you know, righteous warriors running around screaming at the top of our lungs, but we have to be faithful, diligent people to let our voices heard and be able to articulate what we believe and why we believe it. We need to defend the basic tenets of Western civilization, which are under assault today by the very institutions that, that were established by Western civilization. So I think it's really important that you become a part of the salty pastor so that you understand biblically what you believe and why you believe it and then how it translates into everyday life so like and subscribe go to our youtube channel like and subscribe uh, we need you you need us but together we can know what we believe we can stand tall we can articulate in a gentle and respectful way but a firm way the truth and in the end if people stand up and they know the truth, why they believe the truth, how it impacts their life. When people are willing to do that, transformation takes place. So go out and ask everybody you know to become part of the Salty Pastor. Because it's not about me. It's about who God is and what God wants to do in our lives. And we can all be a part of the Salty Crew. And we can season this world finally and make a difference. So on Tuesday, we studied the parable of the lost sheep and how Jesus confronted the attitude of the religious leaders that... People who failed in life no longer mattered to God. This idea and this notion that those religious leaders had, which were basically, you're not good enough to be part of this, right? Yeah. Um, and the real message in the parable of the lost sheep is that even when lost, God still considers people as belonging to him. Mm -hmm. Even when they've gone away from him, even sometimes far away from him, mm -hmm. they still belong to him. They don't belong to someone else. They don't belong to the world or to Satan. So, um, you gave a, an amazing introduction to who we are and what we're about. Talk to me a little bit. We always pair our, our Tuesday Bible studies with kind of a Thursday application of how does this yeah. impact me in today, the now, the here. Um, talk to me about how we take this principle of the lost sheep and, and those people still belonging to God and bring it into today. Well, I think based on Tuesday's study of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, we have to realize principle number one is that those who are lost as individuals matter to God. In the very end of Luke chapter 15, verse 32, uh, the father of the prodigal son says to the elder brother who was upset that his father had received the prodigal bro his brother, but the prodigal son back with open arms. And he says something really interesting to get us to understand what the kingdom of God is like in the heart of our king. And the quote is this. We had to celebrate and rejoice. We had to celebrate. We had to rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead, and he has begun to live. Now notice he says, your brother 
is not completely where he needs to be. Your, your brother isn't, you know, 100% in charge of the farm again. But what he does say, your brother was dead and he has begun to live. He, he has turned back to what he was meant for. And that's what's so fascinating here. He says, so we had to celebrate that. We absolutely had to celebrate this act of repentance, turning back. And then he goes on, and what was lost has now been found. So if you see the world as Jesus sees the world, you cannot see the world as a cultural Marxist sees the world. These two views are diametrically opposed. The world um, that Jesus sees is human beings are individuals, and these individuals have been trapped or caught up in the world, right? Um, sometimes what we do is we denigrate lost people because we think, like in, uh, sometimes in America, well, they're lost because of their own life choices. Mm. Now, the difficulty with this judgment, I, th I think, I is incorrect. The difficulty is, is that we're assuming that they started with the Christian worldview. Okay, and that they so knew that, that what they were doing was wrong. Okay, so the, the assumption usually is, oh, well, they should have known better. Exactly. And they made, a they made a different choice, and so they are reaping the consequences of their choice that they should have known about. Yeah, and, and this is like with poverty, right? Well, these people are poor because they should have known better, and they've made this choice, right? Right. And so there's this – but if – but the difficulty with that position is that we don't see it as Jesus sees it because Jesus would see it, well, they're actually dead, mm. you know. And I, I would go so far as to say Jesus might say they were murdered by Satan. Mm. They've been murdered by sin. You know, the thing that entraps them, the reason they're dead is because of sin. And so this is why... You know, as a church, it's important to be salty, and as a salty pastor, is we want to go to poor people, and we want to say to them in America, the reason you're poor isn't because you have a lack of money, and it isn't because there are haves, and they're taking from you, and so you are a have-not, because that's what socialists and communists and, and uh, cultural Marxists are saying all day long, right? This is the whole point of uh, Senator Bernie Sanders' appeal is, right, there's billionaires and they're taking away and that's why you're poor. Well, of course, this is a lie. This is just false. Uh, I've been reading a book by this guy who uh, talks about the psychology of money over and over again. And what's really interesting is he, he pulls out this stat. He goes, did you know that, I don't know, it's like 50% of Americans couldn't come up with $400 in the face of an emergency? He goes, what's also interesting is that the average person who plays the lottery spends $400 a year on the lottery. And he says, I have a feeling that the people who can't come up with the $400, is what he says in his book, are the people who spend $400 on the lottery. Or it's, I mean, even more, it would be like the people blowing it on Starbucks, right? Like, I yeah. have... I, I could easily see a world where I've cut back extremely far, but I still spend way more money than, like, if I took the amount of money I spend on Starbucks a month and put it in a savings account, 
I would be much further on my way to <laughs> saving up for a number of different things, right? But like, yeah. those are the things. And I mean, this isn't me. Like, I'm a millennial, so we're usually the butt of this joke of, well, yeah. you c- you say you don't have any money, but you're spending all this money on Starbucks. But it's like, but there's some truth in that of. You're making choices with your money. I went through Financial Peace University. Yeah. Your choices of what you spend money and whether you have to go out to eat or whether yeah. you have to eat something specific or drink something specific or have some uh, subscription, those are your choices. So you can't just be like, well, I'm poor because the man. It's exactly. I'm poor because I'm making choices. My, yeah. And, yes, there's inflation and there's situational poverty and things of those nature but in general poverty as a whole there's a lot more i made a choice over and over and over again and or i'm not willing to give up this thing and so i'm in this life yeah and so the what does this principle mean i i think some people do half christianese they go half christian and half christian is well it's not my problem because it's a result of their choices right they 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 get this money they waste this money and you know, so there. Well, that, okay, lost people matter to God. So it's imperative that we go to people who live this way. And he, now th- it's their choice whether they want to listen or not. But we have to do is say, look, people are manipulating you. People are creating dependency in your life. People are deceiving you. Uh, they're trying to make you angry and envious and jealous. But in the end, you can change and you can be set free because you matter. Mm. Right. And you can be different. OK. Now, what's really fascinating is the the new atheism today talks about determinism, that there is no real choice. And what a, what a defeatist position, because it would say to people who are poor in America today, well, that's you're determined to be poor and you're going to be that way because you can't change because of your circumstances. You can't change. Whereas a Christian comes in and says, no, we always can change. We, you know, sometimes it's harder for, you know, then some things to change are really hard. I don't know about you, but changing my eating habits is one of the hardest things I have to do in my yep. life. <laughs> that is really difficult. Some people, it's a piece of cake. Yeah. They you just know? go, I mean, their relationship with food, their relationship with what they eat, completely different, right? Like yeah. I, you know, they, there's some people that are just like, I can just do rice and beans for the rest of my life and be completely fine with it. Like eating has no whatever to me, right? Yeah. Like, but see, w- the point is, is that change, even though very difficult, is always possible. And why do we believe that? Well, we believe that because we see those who are lost matter to God. Mm. They matter to God. This is why the church, Christianity, has done more to advocate for the poor than any other belief system in the history of humanity. This is why followers of Jesus give more money to charity than any other ideology, religion, or belief group in the history of the world. Mm. I mean, these are really big statements I'm making, but they are factually correct. Um, so you, uh, the reason why is because individuals we see are trapped. Our goal is to speak truth to them in order to be free. But cultural Marxists do the exact opposite. They attempt to put everybody in a group, and then they talk about the group identity. Therefore, you are now judged on the basis of what your group does or does not do. You as an individual is irrelevant. And do you see how bad this is? You know, it's like... It's like saying that 
you know, well, you're in poverty. You should always, your group is always impoverished. And so, well, that's just not factually correct. But it's really sad in how it basically says that individuals don't matter. Only the group and how it's treated matters. Can you see how this is diametrically opposed to a Christian worldview? This is why uh, critical race theory increases things like division, racism, hatred, and uh, more in our society. It also gives a rational basis for people to be racist towards groups. A perfect example of this is the current conflict between Hamas and the nation of Israel. Even though Jews are an extremely small minority, when you look at the numbers of Jews in the world today, it's incredibly small. And yet, what's interesting, uh, people, these, these marches on our campus, uh, these... these uh, protests against them in London and Barcelona and in Paris and all these other places, even here in America, on college campuses, university campuses. What's fascinating is they have all determined that, that Jews in Israel are oppressors. So because they're oppressors, what Hamas did is justifiable. It's justifiable to murder innocent civilians because in their mind there are no innocent civilians. You see, all Jews are culpable. All Jews are considered guilty uh, because they've been put in that group. You see how, uh, how horrific these ideologies are? And yet these ideologies are becoming prevalent and being accepted on our college campuses here in America. Why? Because secularism has failed. This notion that secularism is a place where ideas are brought together and then we debate the best ideas. Well, if that was the case, Christianity would win hands down all the time. Right. But it doesn't win. Why? Because the, the people, who, the institutions like our universities that are supposed to be the seedbeds that protect Western civilization are actually the seedbeds of its destruction. And so it's really fascinating to me how powerful this has become. You see it in Western Europe a lot. For instance, uh, last year in 2023, it's really important to understand this. Three pastors were arrested, okay? Three pastors were arrested for standing on a street corner or in a subway and reading passages from the Bible, just reading the Bible. They were arrested. They were imprisoned. They were fined for doing that, okay? But if you're a pro-Hamas, a pro-Palestinian person, you can stand up in uh, Trafalgar Square there in London and you can say this. Listen to this guy. I dare you to look into the eyes of a Gazan child and tell him that you tried your best. Our day will come, but we must not be complacent. Our day will come, but we must normalize massacres as the status quo. Did you Thank get that? He, he said, we must do it. normalize massacres as the status quo. That is Mohammed El-Kurd, and he is talking at a rally just this past week in London. So you could be arrested for reading the Bible, go to jail, and pay fines, 
but you can advocate for the massacre of innocent people and nothing happens to you. Mm. How, how did we get uh, so upside down? Uh, how does something like this actually happen? Cultural Marxism. That's why. In the end, this shift in attitude towards people who are different than us that comes from Jesus, that principle in Luke chapter 15, verse 32, is that we see people who are lost. Uh, we see them as entrapped by ideology, doesn't allow us to stand in front of a crowd and say we want to normalize massacres as a status quo. It actually does the opposite. It increases our humanity. It increases our compassion without adopting their ideology at all uh, that is so destructive. But secularism has failed. And we're in a situation now in Western civilization where you can't state the obvious or the truth, but you can state something so outrageous they punish the truth and they allow the outrageous. Yeah, I think, I mean, that video is absolutely horrifying when it comes to the idea that someone's just out there screaming that, let alone compared to the idea that, you know, you compare it to the, what you had said, which was, you know, these pastors that have been arrested for just reading the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that is just one of many indicators that the world has really uh, taken a turn when it comes to how we think, what we do, and how what we allow, right? Mm -hmm. But um, my question is this, like we're talking about these lost people, these people that have been swooped up by cultural marxism we're talking about people that have made choices things of that nature how does how can we how can jesus help us shift our attitude so that we're not just rallying against them right like there we need to stand up for the truth we need to be calling them out like you're doing but we still do need to try to reach them right yeah so the first principle is is that we have to see them trapped by Satan. And the second principle is this, is we can't save them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Notice in uh, the, the prodigal son is that the son had to repent and return, right? So yeah. the father didn't go get him. Now, in the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd goes and gets him. So the, the mistake that I think we make sometimes is that what Jesus is saying in the parable of the lost sheep is says, saying, he says he's being criticized because he was receiving tax collectors and sinners, right? He received them. Right. And so he's, and what he does is he says, well, the heart of the king in the kingdom of God is to go and find lost sheep. So my desire is to go and find lost sheep. But what I have to realize is I can't save people. Only Jesus can do that. Now, why is that significant? Okay. I think it's really important to note that we have the same heart as Jesus towards those who are lost, while at the same time understanding that we do not have the power that Jesus has to save them. And this is significant, significant because it removes the power. When I try to save somebody and, and not allow Jesus to save them, it removes the power of the individual's choice in their own life, right? It re, it, see, what happens is when we try to remove the power of choice, then what we end up doing is we hurt people. We don't help people. Uh, I read this book by this guy called The Tragedy of American Compassion, and he was talking about the welfare state in America. 
And he said, one of the things that was really interesting is that in the welfare state, what happened is they would give you money for a child. So if you were a woman who had a child, you would get money for that child, right? Living expenses. Now, it seems like a really wonderfully compassionate thing, right? But if you met a man and that man moved in with you or that man married you, all your benefits ended. So mm. what happened in the 80s in particular uh, is that there was this explosion of illegitimate births, particularly in minority communities. Uh, not just minority, but also lower class white communities. Because what would happen is these women would have more children and more babies because they would you would get an increase for every child that you had. Right. Right? And so, but there was no incentive for her to get married or have the father in the child's life. And so his point in the book was is that the government is incentivizing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Right? What it should do is, well, if you we're going to provide so that you're not, you know, exposed or whatever and that the child is taken care of. But the incentives should have been structured so that it would encourage marriage and encourage the father to be in the present life of the child. For instance, right, if you have a child, you're a single parent and you have a child. You could say, well, instead of giving them more money for having another illegitimate child, right, why not say, well, the more involved this person is, then the more you, you move into a higher support bracket. So what it does is it incentivizes good behavior, not bad behavior. And so this is just a very small illustration of how when we try to save people and what we end up doing as human beings is we take their choices away from them and we incentivize the wrong thing. We create dependency in the lives of people. And this is the opposite of what we need to do. What we need to do is we need to respect the individual sovereignty of a person. And that means we need to respect their capacity to make choices. Mm. And so that's that's basically summed up in this simple phrase we can't save people right so what we want to do is like we have a food pantry right in, in our food pantry it's one of the largest food pantries in the treasure valley uh during covid 80 90 percent of all the food pantries closed ours did not and it just kept clicking right along and people say well what's your policy about the food pantry well our policy about the food pantry is very simple and that is if someone's in line we give them food right now, the other thing we do is, uh, because of COVID, this instituted change, which is really good, is that people used to get out of their cars, they would line up, you know, and then we would take their name and their address stuff, and then we would give them a box of food. And we usually give them a box of food because what they'll do is they would come up in line, and then we would say to them, well, how, how many are in your family? And they'd say, well, there's two in our family, or there's five in our family, or there's seven in our family. And so we have these boxes all set up. The team did a great job of figuring this out. And inside that box is enough food for seven days, right, for whatever. If they write a five on the box, it's a family of five for seven days, Right. And then they give you a little bit of frozen meat. They give you some protein and some dairy and things like that as well. And so they would give you a enough food for a week for a family of five. And what in reality, that could easily go for 10 to 12 days, the amount of food that we give you. OK, but it's guaranteed for seven or eight days. And it's our food pantries open every week. 
and you can come back every week. Now, a lot of pantries don't do that. A lot of pantries say, well, you can only come once a month, okay? Now we do that. Now, what's interesting is when COVID came, we shifted to, well, we'll bring the box to your car so you don't have to get out of your car because people could wear masks and gloves and we could still feed people. And the way we built our new food pantry building is that works perfectly. We have a, a door right there with a drive and people, the way our property works, you can drive in a big, huge loop and so people line up and worked perfectly. So what's interesting about that is that what, we're, what we do is we give them enough food to survive. We don't give them enough food to thrive. And I think that's critically important. And the reason why is because we are not trying to save them. We want to incentive. We want to say, okay, you're not going to starve, but the food we give you, you know, we're not giving you filet mignons and stuff like that. It's solid protein, solid carbs. It's a balanced diet, but it's not the stuff. You know what I'm saying? It, it'd be better if you went and did it yourself. Right. So it's it's designed to be temporary. So we're not trying to improve that, right? Because we don't we want it to remain temporary. So no one's ever going to go hungry, right? Who's connected to our food pantry or in our community? No one's ever going to go hungry be hungry because of Foothills Christian Church. But what they will do is they're also not going to you know increase and level up at Foothills. And so you have to have that balance, and that's the principle of we can't save them. So. We care about these people, but we have to respect the fact that we do not want to take their choice away from them. And in the same way, that means that we try to incentivize people making their own choices. So, I mean, how are we supposed to fight against these ideas, the principles, the injustice that um, is oppressing what Jesus is doing in this world while maintaining our attitude towards those lost people? I mean, it's it's often people who are advocating and pushing these ideas that are so destructive that those people that are, are creating these ideas are, are kind of the most lost people, right? Like they're the ones that need it the most, but they're also out there advocating these crazy ideas and they're not really people you want to necessarily be <laughs> spending time with. I mean, Well, and I think that's what that that's our challenge is we have to remember the third principle and that our fight is with the world and the world is under the control of Satan, right? The kingdom of this world. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And one of the hardest things to do in this fight is remember the real enemy, and this is why I think we should stay away from ad hominem attacks and uh, ad hominem arguments. And Well, the person said this because they're, um, you know, a knuckleheaded ninny muffin. Right. Okay, well... What we need to do is focus on the arguments themselves. Say, so, okay, he's advocating for massacre. He, this guy in this video is advocating that it be normalized and become the status quo. So what we're going to do is we're going to do everything we can to first and foremost point out how this is a horrific ideology. The, what it leads to is terrible. It's more division, more war, more hate. But what we will do is also we have to be ready to defend ourselves when people like him get power. And this is the entire point of the Second Amendment in the Constitution of the United States. This is the point of it. It's not about hunting. It's not about recreation. It's about your, your capacity, your right as a human being to defend yourself from a tyrannical government. Okay? And so it's very important to understand when the government becomes tyrannical, right? 
and we have to be careful about it. But it's also your capacity to defend yourself from other people who advocate ideologies that are destructive to your family, especially when that ideology, like this guy in the video articulated, requires you to relinquish your life. Mm. We need to stand in opposition to that. And so, as I've said before, if you listen to the Salty Pastor, I'm not going to advocate pacifism. And I don't think in any way, shape, or form this undermines the Christian truth. It doesn't undermine the notion that Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, powers, and principalities. It's, it's very simple, you know, that sometimes what we have to do is we have to stand in the gap and we have to be able to defend not only ourselves, but our wives, our children, and our communities from things that would seek to destroy them. And so that's what a man is called to do. Uh, and so I think it's important that we remember that and articulate that. Now, up until that point, we need to do everything we can to avoid that. I think it's really important. Do everything we can to uh, avoid that. Uh, I like a real uh, old statement in Latin. I can't, I can't remember the, the Latin phrase, how it works, but it basically says, if you want peace, prepare for war. Mm. If you want peace, prepare for war. And I think that's really a powerful principle is that we got to be prepared, and the more prepared you are, then the less people want to pick a fight with you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pastor, so much for sharing these um, thoughts with us today, challenging us to think about how we're looking at the world on a daily basis and how these principles from the parable of the lost sheep, the coin, the uh, um, prodigal son, are still applicable today, that we need to be looking to these people. They, we may have a different mm -hmm. look out on, you know, what the poor look like or whoever that may have not been previously taken care of. But now we have a very different kind of group of people that we're looking at that are like, well, maybe I don't want to go talk to those people, but we still need to <laughs> think of them as Jesus still owns them. They still belong to him and we still need to be trying to reach them in the way we do that. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe as Pastor Doug said at the beginning of the episode. And we'll see you next week here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings and have a great year.